Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, as always, by the Met, by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, I have a question for you. In the age of text messaging, do you believe that there are appropriate and inappropriate times to text people? Ted, uh, there are there are inappropriate and appropriate times to ask questions on this podcast, and that's at the end of the podcast. We don't we don't do questions yet. Yeah, just- that's true. I it's just, it's more it's it's a logistic thing because it was like six a.m. this morning. I was like, I really need to text Tim and make sure we're on on board for the same time. <laughs> but then I and and for me because I don't need to be near my phone. Like sometimes I wake up to 36 text messages from a crazy baseball thread of my friends drunk and yelling at each other, which is what happened last night. Um, and, but, but my wife who, uh, does need to have her phone when people text her in the night, then that like wakes up our whole family. And sometimes it's just her friends being, you know, like t- chatting. Uh, do you, as a journalist, are you someone with your phone on all the time? My, my phone is always on uh, and it's next to my bed because it is also my alarm clock. But uh, I don't think texts wake me up in general. Um, you don't have like a special thing for my texts that like it, it is like an emergency like uh, that. What if there's well, yeah, a podcast that needs to be done right now? Is do not disturb a special thing because I have that definitely for you. Yeah. Good. It's funny. I actually had no idea what time you had texted me this morning. I was like, wait, what time was that? Uh, And I was I was, uh, you know, in the process of being awake at that point. I I want to say almost there just so the people know I waited until 9 a.m. I thought I was like 9 a.m. seems like a fair time to to text someone. You know how they say in like football when a guy's like in the process of making a football move? Like I was in the process of, of making an awake move to get out of bed at that point. All right. Well, I'm glad I I'm glad I anticipated. We promised we would talk a little bit about what team Mets fans should pull for in the postseason. In the time since I made that promise, the picture has gotten a lot more complicated. Yeah, so we, you know, obviously the Yankees and Cardinals, teams that Mets fans generally love watching and rooting for and pulling for, and, and you know, basically their second and third favorite teams. If that's correct, right? You know, yeah, uh, they're course. out, they're out. So Mets fans devastated uh, by the the loss of the Yankees and Cardinals in the playoffs. You know, uh, and the yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I I to me, and I think I'm. This is an an oddity among Mets fans, but. I don't hate the Yankees as like I actually kind of feel like the Yankees are the lesser of two evils with the Red Sox at this point, just because the Red Sox have had so much success in the past 15 years or whatever it is, 17 years now. Um, and I think it's probably just because the the Red Sox fans I, I hang out with tend to be 
more obnoxious than the Yankee fans I hang out with, which is not, I guess, to be expected, but it's just how it plays out. And so I find myself, uh, almost in spite of myself, in a Red Sox-Yankees matchup, like in the wildcard game, pulling for the Yankees. I think especially this season, just because of how bad they were in the middle of the year and how down on them Yankees fans. I know we spoke about it on the show, like listening to WFAN sometimes and and in the middle of the season and hearing Yankee fans like jumping off bridges because they were, you know, the analytics has destroyed this team. Uh, there was like a little bit of, I, I found a little bit of joy in knowing that the, that set of Yankees fans would be wrong if the team went deep into the postseason. So I was a little disappointed for the Red Sox to advance. Well, I, 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 I do not sympathize with that point of view um, <laughs> because uh, I, I don't think that uh, the, the type of Yankee, Yankees fan who like despises this team in July uh, would feel a comeuppance if they advanced far in October. It would be like, ah, I knew all along. You know, I was About on board time. with this team yeah. all along. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, don't, I don't sympathize with, with the Yankees. Uh, I do kind of enjoy this this place they've gotten to where it reminds me of like the Cowboys for a while uh, where they're good on a consistent basis but they can't get over the hump uh, and that like being good and just getting to the ALCS or getting to I mean the Cowboys haven't been an NFC championship game in, in like 25 years uh, but getting you know to the the playoffs or to the second round of the playoffs is not good enough for the fan base and that's all they've been able to do for a while um, I you know as like a Duke basketball fan like getting to the sweet 16 is like ugh. God, this terrible team. Um, and it's it's interesting to see how Yankees fans react to that dynamic. Uh, so I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, you can you can feel terrible for them. I'm I'm okay. To me, the clear pick, and they remain so. But uh, we speak on Tuesday morning. They are at risk of elimination by late Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the White Sox. Because, you know, for for being an underdog, and I think especially for being like the clear second favorite team in their market, um, obviously the Cubs are are not the Yankees. They have not had the Yankees success. They are themselves uh, so often lovable losers. But um, because the White Sox seem so often an afterthought in Chicago baseball, um, and and because, you know, Tony La Russa notwithstanding, they, they have a really fun team. That was, to me, like the obvious pick for, you know, postseason rooting interest this year. It, you know, they've, they now face an uphill battle down 2-1 in a series against the Astros. Yeah, and it's also fun to root against the Astros. Uh, I thought like last year's playoffs were in particular frustrating to watch the Astros because they weren't like they shouldn't have been in the playoffs. They finished under 500 and then they dispatched two teams who have like historically had good regular seasons and done terribly in the playoffs in Minnesota and Oakland. It's like, oh, this team's not even supposed to be here and they're beating us again. Um with the White Sox, yeah, I think you know that that offense is really fun to watch. They've got a couple pitchers who uh, I, I like watching in uh, Giolito and and Carlos Rodon. Uh, I actually hadn't seen Dylan Cease at all until I watched a little bit of Game Three. Uh, I feel like he's better than uh, yeah, <laughs> my perspective of him from Game Three. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of, of fun young players. Uh, I do think, like you know, you can make the comparison between like the Mets and the White Sox. I do feel like for Mets fans. The White Sox is a worse outcome to root for them because, you know, the Mets, they've, they've only won their two championships, but they've won extremely memorable championships. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you you know the Miracle Mets of 69. Uh, you know the 86 Mets is this uh, very memorable baseball team uh, who won a championship in this, this incredible fashion. Whereas, like, you know, the White Sox have their one title in, ba- 
in the last century in 2005 that routinely gets washed over that no one remembers uh even though that was like a very good team that that went 11 and 1 in the playoffs uh and is just kind of like lost to history already 16 years later I happened to I did a crazy road trip that summer and with with my friends from college and and we we hit like 15 stadiums in 21 days or something something absurd um including a stop at uh I don't know what it was called at that point it might have been US Cellular already um but and you know at the at the White Sox park and that atmosphere when the White Sox were good was one it's something like I frequently cite as like this is one of my the most fun baseball experiences I've had. I think I'm so nostalgic for the uh, symmetrical municipal park, uh, like the, the Shea stadium style. And, and that's really like the, one of the last of those. And it was like sort of this um, very poorly timed thing where it was the last stadium built before Camden yards. Um, and so like, I have a little bit of, of, uh, just a feeling for that type of place, I guess. It just, it it was so, it just, the, the place was just bouncing the way like Shea Stadium did, where it's like that, the concrete foundations sort of erupting at every moment. And um, so I don't forget the 2005 White Sox, I'll say. Yeah, and, and one of the things I like about that team is like, you know, it it's like I don't think there's a, a guy who's even going to come close to the Hall of Fame on that team, right? Like it, it's, Burley maybe mm-hmm. would have the best chance. He's yeah. not going to make it. Then it's Canerco. Uh, it's just like a bunch of dudes who had good years. Total White Sox um, dudes, too. Like the two guys you just right. mentioned are like the White Soxiest guys. Uh, I'm actually looking at their page. They're, they had a much worse offense than I realized. Like almost everyone has an OPS plus below 100. It's basically Canerco and Jermaine Die. Yeah. Uh, another, another guy. Uh, but that pitching staff, obviously, like the ALCS, they got... What was it? Two outs from the bullpen, the entire ALCS. Yeah, and um, and I like basically no one missed a start during the season. Yeah, so I mean, like that is a a, a team that uh, like you describe that they their starting staff through forty four and a third innings in a, a five game ALCS. You'd be like, oh, what did, what year did that happen? Nineteen forty eight or something? No, it was it was two thousand five. Uh, so I like and another guy who actually really likes that team. Uh, is Pete Alonso, because huh. uh, Pete Alonso, a big Paul Canerco fan. That's a uh, kind good of fit. Liked the way, you know, thought Canerco was a guy who kind of matched his swing. Uh, so watched a lot of, you know, Alonso is a bit young to have watched that team like in depth uh, as a, he probably was in like fourth grade or something for it. Um, but really liked Canerco, uh, watches, watched his YouTube highlights a bunch. So actually the first time I ever talked to Pete Alonso, this was in 2018 uh, in Binghamton early in the year. Or, or it was somewhere, uh, Binghamton was on the road. I think it was in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, and he just started talking about the uh, about Canerco and the White Sox, how much he loved that team. Like he watches a lot of their highlights. Uh, and I was using like my reporter's notebook, you know, some stadiums give it to you for free. Uh, and I had a White Sox reporter's notebook because uh, the Red Sox had been there the year before and I had it for free. Uh, and so he was like, oh, White Sox, so you're a big White Sox fan. And I was like, <laughs> yes, no, I just I just got it for free. He's like, yeah, so you know all about Canerco, you know, Aaron Rowan and all this. And I was like, I thought to myself, am I going to have to pretend to Pete Alonzo for the next decade and a half that Huge I White like Sox the guy. White Sox? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but it, it he has forgotten uh, my White Sox notebook. Thankfully, I, uh, I like still loves still loves that team. That makes me like Pete Alonso more, and kind of makes me like the 2005 White Sox more. Like that's a nice a nice little connection there. Um, and it's funny, like Canerco is a guy I think about when I think about like long term prospects for Alonso. Sometimes, even though uh, Alonso, it's worth noting, like. Because of the difference in era, Alonso has been an appreciably better hitter in the early parts of of their career, and and Konerka was a was a really good player for a very long time, but uh, just like a little more top end power from from Pete Alonso to date. But yeah, like a righty hitting first baseman who is very good and doesn't quite feel like a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and and Konerka, uh, uh, Alonso, first of all, is like a a better baseball historian than I would have expected for someone his age. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were at, I think we were in Milwaukee, uh, and you know the Brewers have retired Hank Aaron's number in addition to the Braves. Uh, and so I wondered like how many players have had their numbers retired by multiple teams. And I looked this up, and I was talking about it with one of the Mets PR staffers, and Alonzo hears us, and he he's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? And we, we tell him, and he like... You know, there's something like 11 or 12, and he named like 10 of them. Uh, like he knew, he's like, oh, it m- must be this guy and this huh. guy. Uh, and I was, that was very impressed. Um, and, and speaking of Canerco, uh, one thing I thought about earlier this year was if you look at, like I was trying to find historical analogs for Francisco Lindor for a guy who's very good uh, and then goes through a prolonged stretch of being bad. Uh, and could he bounce back from that? And Konerko, if you look at his 2003, yeah. had basically the two worst months of his career at the start of that year. Might have been even longer than that. Uh, and then rebounded to essentially be the same player he'd always been mm-hmm. for the next nine years. Uh, and so I think if you're looking for a good case scenario for Francisco Lindor, it is once again Paul Konerko. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If the White Sox don't advance, uh... I'm, maybe this is a question for me, but if the White Sox don't advance, what what is a Mets fan to do? Yeah, uh, I, I would say you know the uh, there's the other team that could be uh, uh, one of the other teams that could be eliminated on Tuesday in Milwaukee right. because that's a team that has has never won a World Series, hasn't been to a World Series uh, in in just about forty years. Well, and they're not the uh, Braves. And and they're not, and they're not the Atlanta Braves, uh, and they have you know if, if you're a Mets fan, you you generally tend to be a guy who appreciates fine starting pitching, uh, and the Brewers are built off of that, uh, perhaps too much so. Uh, and then I, I would say, yeah, the the American League does not look promising for, for a Mets fan. There is there is some kindred spirit with the Red Sox fan because of the hatred of the Yankees, but I believe that has that has 
been no. eroded, as you said, over the last decade and a yeah, half. Yeah, I don't feel it at uh, all. I feel more kinship with my fellow New Yorker than with the Bostonite. How do you feel about the Giants? Because that's Horribly. a team that uh, has has won three out of five, won three out of five last decade, uh, and you know, but still has this underdog feel to them, even though it's no. some of the same guys. Ah, uh, no, I, I have, um, I have no patience whatsoever. It's personal. Um, two of my my best friends from college are rather obnoxious San Francisco Giants fans, um, and you know, like like everyone, I I only want my I only want sadness for for my friends. Um, and so I, I don't want them to get, especially this year, like this is a, a weird thing. It's a cool thing that they were good. Um, another of my friends, uh, has like, we talked about it recently. It's like, if you were to like pull the baseball lever all again for 2021, like how many times would the giants want wind up a, a 106 win team? It feels like very, very unlikely it would happen, uh, very often, but uh, I, and on the same text chain that I mentioned with with 35 messages last night, there are also two um, completely separate. Uh, one is not that obnoxious, but one is especially obnoxious San Francisco Giants fans. And, and I can't I can't abide any of my friends having any sort of lasting enjoyment from baseball. <laughs> so the Giants are out like I would I would I pull for the Dodgers over the Giants for sure. See, I'm I'm different on that. I don't want to pull for the Dodgers at this point. They've got they've got enough going for them uh, this year and and in the past decade and going forward. Uh, one thing that that does strike me as we talk about this, like the the Red Sox and Giants are pretty good examples of why you shouldn't be sure about where your team is on the window of contention. You know, I wrote about mm-hmm. Marcus Stroman uh, for Monday morning and kind of you know what it would cost potentially to re-sign him. Uh, something in the, the the range of four years and eighty million is what I what I projected. But you know, it wouldn't actually surprise me if it got a little bit higher than that because of his durability. And some of the you know, this is not everyone's. I, I don't want to like generalize the entire commentariat, but there is there are some people who have suggested like you know the Mets aren't there yet. This is this should not be how they invest their money. They're not close enough mm-hmm. to being a contending team to put that much money down on you know a guy who would be their number two starting pitcher. And I look at San Francisco and Boston uh, and you think like that kind of idea would probably prevent you from signing from a lot of the moves that those teams made in the last year. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I, I guess the, the Red Sox might not be the best example. They didn't make like big expenditures. I think the the priciest free agent that they, they signed was Kike Hernandez for two years and 14 million dollars. Uh, at the same time, I think you can probably use the same uh, dismissive approach. Like, you know, why are we signing that guy? Uh, if we're not going to be that close, we should just, you know, develop, leave center field open to Jaron Duran or something if you're a Red Sox fan. Right. Uh, and with the Giants, it was, you know, giving the qualifying offer to Kevin Gosman. It's signing Alex Wood. It's signing Anthony DiSclefani uh, and, and some of those smaller moves. Uh, but, you know, like if you hit on those, you can be a really good team. Like every year there are enough free agents that if you sign them to to smaller deals, uh and, you know, Stroman would be a bigger, longer-term one, but he's a, a better player than a lot of these guys. Uh, and you hit on them, uh, like, you can be a really good team. You know, this is the old, uh, I forget what year it was, I think it was Sam Miller at ESPN, wrote, like, how can we make the Tigers good just with free agents? And, like, you could build a pretty good team for, like, $50 million in free agent expenditures. 
So I, I think I don't want to be like I am not sure and I don't think too many people should be sure about how far away the Mets are from contending. I don't think it's impossible to imagine them building a team uh, in the next several months that can win 100 games because we just saw it happen with a team that was worse than them in San Francisco. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I'll say like I, I think back to um, the Astros. Like everybody knew the Astros after they tanked for those four years and when they had this new front office full of hot shots, like it felt like everybody knew they were going to be good. And then in in 2015, it was like they, they sort of jumped ahead of that timeline a little bit and wound up uh, a game away from from the ALCS. Like I think when the team's heading in the right direction and, and building the like putting the right pieces together. Sometimes it can happen faster than you expect. And like you kind of got to surf that wave when it comes because you, you don't know. It's never guaranteed. Right. And and the other thing is kind of going back to uh, the the comparison between the Mets where they are now under Steve Cohen and where the Dodgers were when they were first bought by their current ownership group in, in 2012. You know. What you spend on the major league team doesn't necessarily take away from your construction of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Like the Dodgers Mm -hmm. then were putting a lot into their minor league system, but they also went out and made the Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Beckett, Carl Crawford trade because they wanted to be good at the major league level at the same time. Uh, So even if your end goal is this sustainable player development machine uh, that that brings up new guys and and constantly has prospects who are ready to fill in at the major league level and fill in well, uh, you know, before you get to that point, and the Mets are not at that point currently, before you build a farm system, you know, while you're building that farm system, you don't have to suck at the major league level. Like, you can be good still. Uh, you You can spend money on being good and covering up the holes in your system in the short term, uh, through free agency and through trades. Yeah. And, you know, it's that, um, the, this is something that has changed for me over time, but I think like I have so much an appreciation for the teams that can do that, that can, you know, build a winner while building up a farm system that like I, I this is this is not a popular opinion. I like the Astros. Like I know, I know they're the team that cheated. I know. Um they're a cool team. Like I I just don't know I don't know how to say it on their uh, any other way. Like they've just they've just done sort of such a good job. Uh, sort of replenishing themselves throughout like if you look look at their starting rotation this year like obviously they have Zach Granke they have Lance McCullers those are guys we know Luis Garcia, Framber Valdez and Jose Urquidy are like big we're all like had really nice seasons in the Astros starting rotation like they're it feels like they are just constantly finding that next guy um, constantly promoting from within, you know, good new young players. Kyle Tucker had a huge season this year. Um, Jordan Alvarez has been huge when he's 24. Um, it's, it's like almost in, no, it's not in spite of myself. Like, I don't know. I, a lot of people are so upset about the, the banging on a garbage can thing. My take has always been like, Way more teams did stuff like that than you're ever going to find out. When they talked about Beltron, they said, like, you know, Beltron brought some stuff over from the Yankees. And, like, all Yankee fans will will forget they ever heard that um, and forget that there was any chance that, that the Yankees were doing similar things. Maybe not to the same extent, but uh, I think there's a really good chance that lots of teams ha- have done stuff like that in recent seasons. Maybe now, after the scrutiny on the Astros and, to a lesser extent, the Red Sox, they've cut down on it. Hopefully, you want a level flying field, but it's like, 
I don't know. It's I've never had a ton of room for like the finding the moral high ground as a baseball fan. And so uh, once you're sort of resigned to the fact that like uh, professional athletes are going to try to find whatever advantage they can. And sometimes it's going to be one that's not necessarily legal. um, Then I can kind of kind of like put that aside and just say like, you know what, like Jose Altuve is cool. Alex Bregman is a super fun player to watch. Carlos Correa is awesome. Like I kind of like the Astros. Yeah, I mean those, those guys are really fun to watch. I remember back in 2017, you know, when they're in the World Series for the first time against the Dodgers, uh, really enjoying watching that yeah. team uh, and feeling feeling conflicted already because I did not like. I don't like teams being rewarded for tanking because it creates an mm-hmm. environment the, the atmosphere we're in currently but that's the lead that's on the lead or too many teams are trying. right yeah i mean it's on it's on everyone else uh for for thinking they can do the same thing uh but i didn't like you know i knew if they won we were just gonna get more teams that tanked uh whereas you know if if they if they got there and lost a few times and maybe teams would not take that approach as much. We, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, like the Oklahoma City Thunder never winning an, an NBA title. While I felt bad for the fan base, I thought that was good for the NBA. In the same way that like, I think if the Sixers never win, I think that would be good for mm-hmm. the NBA because those teams tanked uh, to get draft picks. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't like, I you know, I don't like the kind of uh, ruthless way the Astros were constructed, uh, you know, at the... Uh, you know, Evan Drellick with, with The Athletic has written about it, going back to his time covering that team specifically in, in Houston, uh, about kind of like the McKinseyization mm-hmm. yeah. of of a front office. And I don't like that development. Well, and there's so, so much that, resentment from the players toward the front office when that was going on at the start, at the, at the very least. Right. Uh, I, I do think, go, going back to the, the sign stealing, that I was surprised at the level of outrage from other players, which suggested to me that that it, this level of uh, espionage was not as prevalent as I might have thought initially. Uh, that you know, if if every team does it, no team did did it to that extent. Um, but uh, it is like you know, Altuve, Correa, Bregman in particular, Alvarez too. Uh, there are a lot of hitters on that team. That's just man, it's really fun to watch, and I want to just appreciate them uh, without thinking about that other thing. Uh, which is why it's it's almost going to be good for some of them, I think, to move on elsewhere. Like, you know, for George Springer to have the season he had in Toronto, for Correa, who you would think is probably going elsewhere after this season, to to do it kind of outside of Houston. Because even even if that team is, is better on the road than it is at home, the way it was this season, those whispers from guys like Ryan Tapera are going to follow them for a while. Yeah, I would say, I think the first page of the denial playbook is like outrage when people do the same thing that you do right like that is like that is like also like textbook fascism is just like blame everybody else for the thing that you yourself are doing um and so like and because yeah, if you think back to the steroid era like it was some of the loudest protesters right rafael palmero is the guy like who was first associated with like oh no way this guy can't be doing it because he whacked his finger and said he didn't um and then sure enough you know rafael palmero gets popped for steroids um so again like it's just like I tend to just take everything like just I I try to avoid the whole like moral ethical out, out, outcomes of it because it's uh, only a slippery slope. Like there's no firm there's no firm footing. There's no team where you can say like, oh, this is the this is the one club where every single guy uh, and every single member of the front office, like everyone's uh, on the, you know, doing everything on the up and up. Like I just don't think that exists. 
Are you suggesting that maturing as an adult and as an informed baseball fan has has in some ways made you cynical? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I think I think I was probably precociously cynical myself, but uh, <laughs> certainly it has. Nothing has changed over time. Uh, do we have updates on the Mets' hunt for a new uh, person to make a baseball team? <laughs> I don't even know. We don't know what to call. We I don't think, know what to call this person. I think. I think <laughs> Maybe that should be the title. We talked about title inflation last week. It should be the person who makes the team. Uh, so, you know, since we last talked, we, we recorded this last Tuesday also. Uh, that was before they had officially reached out to Theo Epstein. We said on the podcast last week that this was not going to work out with Theo Epstein. It was not what he wanted. Uh, and then we found out shortly thereafter, uh, maybe even before the episode posted, uh, that that indeed this was not uh, uh, what Theo Epstein wanted. And, and the Mets and him uh, have decided not to continue talking. Uh the next step is probably Billy Bean. Uh, Billy Bean, I have heard, uh, and and others have also reported this, that he's at le- he's a little bit more interested in having that conversation than Theo was. Uh, so I think that makes it you know it's more plausible. Is it uh, likely? Probably not. But he's he's got more of an open ear to what Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson are pitching than Epstein did. Uh, beyond that, then you've got David Stearns, who you've got to wait. Mm-hmm. on uh, until the Brewers are out of the playoffs. So from that perspective, maybe a Mets fan doesn't root for the Brewers because the quicker they're out, the, the easier it is to have that conversation. At the same point, uh, it, I think it's probably unlikely that the Brewers would even allow David Stearns to have that conversation unless he kind of goes into the, the room with, with Mark Atanasio, the owner, and says, like, I am leaving after next season unless you let me have this conversation with them, in which case you can get some compensation for me. Um so that that's where they're at right now. Uh, the other thing that that's happened in the last week is is Zach Scott's DWI uh, charge, and it will now go to trial uh, in early December. Uh, I think you know the, the Mets had talked about, or Sandy Alderson had said they were waiting on a resolution to that before making a decision on whether to reinstate Scott from his administrative leave, or you would presume uh, letting him go for good. Uh, and now that's being dragged out another two months. I am not personally sure how to interpret uh, that this is going to try. I don't. I don't know of of DWI or DUI trials in the past. Um, it's you know. May, I'm guessing it suggests that that he thinks there's compelling evidence that would uh, get him off for this. Uh, that that would lead to an acquittal or not guilty or, or pleading to a lesser charge or something like that. Uh, so I, I guess there is that chance to just create, you know, there's that additional layer of uncertainty because uh, my understanding is he's still on administrative leave and is like not really doing anything for the Mets. Not not they're not looping him into conversations at this point, which just, you know, leaves that front office uh, as vacant as ever. Yeah, I also wonder. And again, like this is I'm completely speaking on speculation, but like I guess there's. It's unclear, like if there's a potential legal, like can you can you fire someone uh, for like, and I think they have probably grounds to move on from him, certainly beyond the DUI. But um, I would wonder, like if if they open themselves up for some sort of lawsuit, if they if it looks like they've fired him for this uh, alleged crime that now he's going to fight in court. And like, if he beats it, then I, I don't think that's legal to fire someone for a crime that they legally weren't uh, like guilty of. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they could, I, I think it would be difficult for them at this point to, I guess, fire him for cause. <laughs> this is, on that. This is uh, well-informed uh, law talk with Ted and Tim. <laughs> 
Uh, check out our legal yeah. podcast. It runs on Thursdays of us being like, I think, yeah. and don't Lawyer quote me on stuff. this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens with with him over the next uh, you know six seven weeks. I guess we have a question uh, from at Sports Angle Brian, a, a guy we both know, um, and it's a good question, and it's it's uh, a, it's a it's a little different for now, which is fun. Um, he wants to know if you and and Tim were to receive one random Mets jersey of a player never commonly seen in stores. Who is it? I guess who would you want it to be? He says for him, he's always wanted Shinjo. I feel that. Um, he said they used to stock that news to me. He already has Oliver Perez, which is impressive, and that he would go with Sid Fernandez or Kevin McReynolds, who were actually two of my favorites as a kid. Yeah, so I, I mean, I have a couple already that uh, that are are, are good uh, good finds in Timo Perez oh, that's a good one. Uh, and Rick Reed. Oh. Uh, so I, I like both of those. Yeah, you're making a, con- a con- complicated labor stance with Rick Reed. <laughs> that, that is that is true. Um, uh, I, I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Um, I actually I saw uh, in Boston late in the season for the first time. I think this is the first time I've ever seen it. A John Olerud Mets jersey, huh. uh, which I, I very much One appreciated. Of my uh, I think that would be you know I don't I don't know how prevalent the Olerud fives were uh, back in '98 '99. Uh, I would think they were around a bit, but they're they're not something you see now uh, in, a, in a like the Mets store. Uh, so I, th- I think that would be one. Uh, you know, I I I also loved Melvin Mora during the night. I, I fell in love with like guys who just had good postseasons. So Melvin Mora in '99 and Timo Perez in 2000, uh, both I think wore number six. Uh, so. Uh, I would go. I would be all about a Melvin Mora jersey as well. Have you ever had the opportunity to speak to Melvin Mora? Uh, so I've never spoken to him. I did a couple of years ago when I did a story on the Robin Ventura Grand Slam single. I had called a bunch of of Mets, and I call. I, I got Melvin Mora's number, and I called him, and he didn't get back to me in time for the story. He called me something like two months later, huh. uh, and left left a message on my machine that was like, "Tim, I'm sorry. I, I you know I I just got your message or something because he'd been traveling." Uh, and he just ended up like, let's talk Mets. He is a prince. And he is like the nicest dude. Uh, so I, I felt like I was like, man, the story's wrong, but I, I need to come up with something to talk to Melvin yeah, Mora about. But I, I, I didn't. So I'll, I, I still have his number, which, you know, I, if I need to call him, I'll, I'll give him six months in advance notice so that it, it can happen. Uh, yeah, I, we, we used to do like a series for SNY with, with like visiting players coming back to the Mets. And that was the one that always stands out to me. Like it, I almost like I teared up a little bit talking to Melvin Mora just because <laughs> uh, he, he was so cool. Like He was just like it's it's rare when you meet someone that like you like for him. I was 18 in 1999. So like still very much like formulating heroes and. Mostly they wind up disappointing you a little bit. But Melvin Moore was like, this is a man like I want to just like hang out with and and have a big bear hug with because he was an important <laughs> part of of my 1999 uh, the or at least the fall of my 1999. Like I was definitely someone whose jersey I considered for this question. Um, others, I, I'm definitely drawn to that that set of teams the 99 2000 teams so like benny agbayani jumped to my mind immediately mm-hmm. um especially because he got the, the hawaii 5 thing which he shared with with sid fernandez another one um that you know it's it feels like they might have sold his jersey just because there was enough hype about him coming up but um jay payton like i think it would be if i yeah. saw someone with a jay payton jersey i'd be like 
that person's cool. You know, like I think I think it's like the type of thing where you just be like, oh, this person's wearing like you're rocking Jay Payton. Like, yeah, like we can hang out. The the other one that I thought about when when I saw the question was uh, was Matt Franco mm-hmm. uh, because uh, Matt Franco is someone who like I always think of very fondly because of obviously the walk off off of Rivera and like in my a mind bunch Matt of Franco them. was I felt a, like he had clutch hits was, all the time a very clutch hitter amazing pinch hitter and then you look at his stats you're like ah oh, Matt Franco hit 230 that yeah. year like <laughs> with with a 680 OPS in the middle of the steroid era but it just seemed kind of in the way that we've talked about with Jose Peraza this past year that all of Matt Franco's pinch hit walks all of his pinch hits uh came in big situations uh, a guy like that like before on a on a lesser team before Matt Franco who I also and like this is a deep pull uh, I don't know that a lot of Mets fans remember him but uh they had an outfielder in 95 and 96 named Chris Jones. And Chris oh, yeah. Jones, you know, he wasn't an everyday player, but I felt like that guy was like Mr. Huge pitch hit home run at the end of the game. Like that was that was another, um, also a number five. And another one I thought of, like, I don't think, I think Jones five, no one would know. Everyone would think your name was Jones and you went to fantasy camp. <laughs> um, but it's a, it would be, if you knew it was Chris Jones, it would be like, again, that guy's cool. Yeah, was it one year? So in 95, he had three pinch hit home runs as a pinch hitter that year. 10 for 25, two doubles, three homers, 10 RBIs, a 13.09 pinch hit OPS. So he was, I, I, I seem to remember him hitting a big home run in like San Francisco that had hit the foul pole or something. Uh, I, I, that, that name, yeah, like when I was looking up good pinch hitters for the Mets earlier this year because of what Brandon Drury was doing in July, uh, Chris Jones was was the guy who came up the quickest uh, for what he did in the mid-90s. Alex Ochoa, another one I, I thought about. Like, you know, you know, like again, like these are like pretty deep pulls, but if they... Hit, hit, hit for the cycle with the Mets, right? Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah, I like he was, and he was like the first time I ever heard the term five-tool prospect was, was in terms yeah. of Alex Ochoa. Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're both going to talk about the same general era, but that, uh, you know, if we want to if we want to honor the 2005 White Sox, we could also talk about Jose Valentin, a, an underrated member of the 2006. Yeah, Mets. that's a good one. That's a uh, Jose Valentin. That's, I forgot about him, but he is a, a big, obviously, because of the mustache. Like that was just it was razor sharp. And so was he. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's a good place to end. Yeah, it's always a good place to end talking about Jose Valentin. Uh, We will speak again next week. Maybe there will be Mets news. More likely there won't, but we will certainly have uh, Mets-related information to discuss. (laughs) That's a great teaser. (laughs) Everyone's very excited to come back next week. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll talk more about (laughs) members of the 1996 Mets. Dave Tailgater. (laughs) Adios. Peace. Peace.